Hello, everyone. Welcome back to IXDA Stories, offering stories by the Interaction Design Association community for the community. Each episode this season, we'll be taking a deep dive with some of the thought leaders and partners of the upcoming Interaction 21 conference. I'm your host, Alexi Morin. Today, we're very excited to be bringing you an interview with our day one keynote, Ariel Muller, the Managing Director for Asia with Forum for the Future, a leading international sustainability nonprofit that works to redesign some of the key systems that underpin our world. Ariel works at the nexus of design, business, and sustainability with a huge range of partners to drive the growth a forum for the future's work in Asia-Pacific. Her background is an eclectic blend of academia, policy, private sector strategy and design consulting, and public sector work, all of which gets brought to bear in her work with Forum for the Future. So, without further ado, here is Ariel Muller, sitting down with Poppy Guthrie, a member of the Interaction 21 team and IXDA local leader in Indianapolis, Indiana. So uh, thank you, Ariel, for joining. Um, why don't we start with a warm up and just tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe something that we wouldn't read in your bio um, and how you got to be where you are in the work that you're doing now. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, so my background, my undergraduate degree was actually an art degree. So I come from a creative um kind of mindset. Uh, and I always had an on, sort of entrepreneurial spirit of wanting to see, figure out how we could design and make things better. But when I want, was poised to step into that business world, that it was fundamentally unsustainable and had deep design flaws, just kept me out of it. <laughs> I just didn't see the potential solutions. I, I, I knew that they were um, embedded within the current economic system, embedded within these new business models, um, that it would put us on a trajectory that was ultimately unsustainable. So in a way, I kind of stayed, I stepped out of it and, uh, and pursued a degree in art and became an artist. And uh, and actually spent some time in Wyoming and uh, had a, actually a painting business and did murals. And uh, and at that time, probably one thing that people wouldn't know about me that during that time, um, I actually, uh, one of my jobs was actually being a dog sled guide um, in terms of guiding dog sleds through the mountains of Wyoming. Uh, and which is, is an important part of who I am because it's that outdoor elemental, what's really important uh, type of space. And then I heard uh, about that time, there was a book that came out called Cradle to Cradle, which was written by William McDonough. And there were a number of other U.S. business leaders that were beginning to say, actually, there's a different way that we can, we can begin to design dis- businesses differently. I guess through the role that I have now, which is a forum for the future, and I'm leading the development of our work across the Asia geography. Um, I came here about seven years ago and 
What's been fascinating in terms of that kind of original question is to learn more about the perspective from where most of our value chains are and where a lot of the commodities that drive this global economy. And it really took for me, it took me on a journey from understanding that kind of small to medium enterprise of a sustainability narrative to actually global commodity supply chains, issues around palm oil, labor, um, that much even a broader kind of systemic challenge. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about Forum for the Future, the work you guys do? So Forum for the Future is a international uh, nonprofit organization, a sustainability NGO. Um, and we, we design and deliver programs that work on complex sustainability challenges. And the kind of the, the skill sets that we bring that to that are one, an expertise in systems thinking, and, it's in, and literally like a toolbox of things you can do to help people think more systemically about how they approach challenge, how they design for a challenge, how they engage the system to solve that challenge. One of the things in that toolbox is a, a process called futures. Um, and we use futures a lot as a way to um, engage people in uh, thinking long-term, thinking about what's the future that we, that we, what might be on that horizon and what's the future that we want to create. And, and recently I've been exploring a lot more in terms of participatory futures and what ways can you get people involved in creating and imagining what a preferred future might be. And then uh, how, what are the actions we can take today in order to work towards that? Uh, so yeah, those are the, that's, that's what we are about. And then we, we work, we design uh, programs around uh, sustainable value chains and livelihoods, which a lot of that work is focused in uh, Asia and our circular economy work is uh, within that challenge lab. And then a challenge lab that's around how do we stay below, how do we develop an economy that stays below 1.5 degrees of warming? Uh, and so a lot of our energy work is, is within that challenge lab. Uh, and then, uh, and also work in regenerative agriculture, which uh, the agriculture sector is one of the major contributors to our carbon emissions. And then the third challenge lab is uh, sustainable nutrition. So we're looking at what does it mean to um, create a sustainable protein system. You can look on the website and under each one of those challenge labs are a number of programs and then different reports on them and things like that. Those are really fascinating projects. <laughs> Well, I feel really lucky to get up and work on um, the problems, you know, to try to solve problems like that. That's really interesting because I suspect that most designers, most people that are going to be listening and tuning in are um, are only viewing a small slice of the business. Being in Asia, you're, you're so close to that production of what we consume and what we don't necessarily see as Americans or um, Brit, Brits, Europeans even. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things there because if I think about the journey when I was in the States and design, um, the conversation around design was very much focused on user-centered design and innovation around the consumer. Um, and what are the, you know, what are the behaviors they're doing and then how can we innovate a product or service for that? Now, now I can look at that and go, gosh, there is a mm, blind spot in regards to the implications of those design choices um, across the supply chain. 
and it would be interesting, and this is one of the things I think would be fun to explore more with people who have the talents around user-centered design is what does the capacity of user-centered design mean from a manufacturer if your manufacturer is your user? Um, it tends to be within a value chain. Those that are actually at the smallholders and manufacturers have the least amount of power and often are contributing the most value in that in a, in a supply chain, and particularly in agricultural commodity chains. That that's where actually the product is harvested is with smallholders, and they have the least amount of agency and the least amount of power. So, what what would taking design thinking skills and user user center design innovation, the tech solutions? I began to look at each actor within that supply chain and um, and innovate around what would give the get build their agency to help the transition to a circuit, you know, to a circular economy or more sustainable economy or things like that. One, I think applying those skills at different places would be interesting. And two, what you described as an, as an American is is the journey I went on. You know, and actually, I remember my first day we went and visited a large uh, logistics firm in Hong Kong, and essentially. When I grew up and there was something that said made in China, this organization probably helped to coordinate the manufacturers that made that product. And when I arrived and, and visited that company and began to talk to them, my perspective on American culture was suddenly like, A, we are the shop window. And B, um, we are adolescents <laughs> in this kind of journey. And then we are just wanted every new shiny thing. And that there are other actors that are like, that's okay, go ahead, consume. We'll keep manufacturing for you. <laughs> and like, just beat, beat that consumptive hunger. And uh, and it, it was it was sort of a moment when I was like, oh, I really saw American consumption patterns as a type of adolescence. Now that's probably limiting because actually, you know, American innovators and entrepreneurs have innovated an extraordinary solutions. So I'm not speaking around kind of tech innovation as a whole more. Um, just consumption patterns. Within your futures thinking, um, can can you talk a little bit more about what that that process looks like for you? How how do you engage um, speculative design in that? Um, how might you talk about futures thinking with your your clients and the the organizations you're working with? So I think it varies per who we're working with in terms of what type of futures process we might use. So a futures process with designers might might be a little bit different than something we might use with manufacturers. Um, So how we use futures, essentially there's two ways that we're using it. I think most of the time, if I were to reflect on what is our everyday practice, one is it might be working one-to-one with a corporation to help them stretch and develop transformational vision or targets for sustainability. And you may be working with people that have, you mentioned sustainability and their eyes glaze over and uh, they're, you know, they're, they're, they think it's going to cost. And essentially you're taking those people uh, using uh, trends and they'll get to engage with those trends. They'll build a scenario themselves with those trends. They'll go through a process of imagining what those scenarios might be like. And that, futures process uh, helps develop their cognitive agility. And then inevitably, just because these trends do point to cliffs that we're about to fall off, it will give, hopefully give them that aha that says, you're right, we do need to prepare for this. There is something that, you know, this is material to the business. So um, 
The second way would be how do you bring together a, a group of diverse people from across, say, a value chain to create a shared vision for my, where they might want to go. Um, and so they'll go through the same process of developing scenarios or uh, understanding that future context. Someone once described to me that the power of futures wasn't the outcome that you, the output that you created, but the cognitive agility that you build in the people that go through the process. Um, and I've always liked that way to describe it because I feel like that's that's what we're delivering to the senior leaders of a corporation per se. I, I ran something the other day where I, I began the workshop saying, how old are your children? And uh, for this particular workshop, they were probably between 12 and 18 or 19. And then when I took those future scenarios against a 1.5 world, a three, uh, you know, two degrees of warming, three degrees of warming, four degrees of warming, said, when your kids are your age, what scenario are they living in? And actually you realize that it's not far at all. And that we always think it's out there. And all of a sudden it's actually quite close. And that, that moment has been really powerful in saying, oh, you're right, we really do need to do something, you know, and getting people to think beyond, I'm going to be more green to actually I'm going to drive change in my sector. Um, once you become aware of, of this, how can you bring these sustainable practices into your work as a designer? Um, yeah, and I think this is who controls the brief, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, that that, and then, so as a designer, how do you do that? Don't underestimate the power and the catalytic potential of raising the questions um, and even untapping other people within the organization or within that sector that are also saying, yes, we've been asking those same questions and we don't know how to do it. Um, so I say first raising the question. And I think then the challenge is, is that, or in terms of answering the question of what then can a designer do is a little bit context specific in terms of each, an organization or a culture, things like that. Um, I think for me, what the moment that we're in and the pandemic has helped to catalyze is a new um, lived experience and understanding of what systems and systemic impact and interconnectivity. Um, and I think there is a new conversation around challenging or critiquing capitalism and growth for growth sake. What I hope designers or all of us do is recognize the window of opportunity in this moment and in this, this particular decade to um, leverage this pandemic to ask those questions, you know, to rec and, and direct and begin to amplify the dialogue around we need to challenge growth for growth's sake as a paradigm of just make more stuff. And we need to challenge and critique um, some of the unintended consequences of a capitalist system. But you can do that as a citizen. You, as a designer, you can recognize your role as a citizen. You can do that potentially as a consumer. Um, and then you can do it as a designer. When, you know, when we're working on, with organizations uh, at Forum that people want to create change um, and they may run into barriers of change, there are generally lateral partnerships that you can use to help accelerate that change. So it might be that what is the, what can a designer do is to begin to identify what are the new types of partnerships we need in order to address some of these bigger questions. So is there something else about um, sustainable business that, that you think people should know? I think there's 
maybe two things. One, that we need to understand that to take leadership in sustainable business means the business needs to move to a position where it's beginning to provide solutions to this future context and that or and or driving change within its sector. It needs to step beyond thinking of sustainability as how do I make my own organization, you know, within the boundaries of my own organization more sustainable to actually driving systemic change from the unique position that I'm in to drive that. And every business has some area within which they are in a unique position to drive systemic change. So I think recognizing that that's what we need if we're to look at the level of transformation that we need, that those are the questions that we need to be asking is how does the business going to deliver systemic change? And then the second one I think would be this, um, and it's similar, is uh, in order to uh, stay below 1.5 degrees of warming, businesses can't just be less bad. They actually have to be delivering a similar contribution or positive, you know, positive. So this idea of, I think we'll increasingly be getting to see language around being regenerative and just. Um, and I think that those two things together and one of the things I think working in Asia has really taught me is you're not going to create a sustainable business until you've addressed issues of power within that business and within the supply chain and value chain. That the social side and how, how who has power within that system is going to be part of the solution of what it means to deliver a, a, a sustainable outcome. So I think that those two things are linked and to, and to begin to drive those types of solutions. So let's transition to something a little lighter, a little, you know, nice closer. <laughs> uh, if you could commission a piece of art from anyone dead or alive, who and what might that be? So I think that, I think the power of art is that it somehow expresses what you are able to express in your own words. It expresses something that is, at some, like I said, that moment. And one of the pieces that was most powerful for me when when I saw this question and I just thought of it immediately was there's a choreographer named Anna uh, Teresa de Kiersmacher. Kiersmacher and I, I think she's Belgian and I'm sure that I'm not pronouncing her name correctly, but she wrote a piece called Rosas and it was a dance. And when I saw the piece, I, I, um, I walked out and had been incredibly touched and just, and actually had tears and I had no idea why, but it had touched an emotional moment of wherever I was in my journey. And I would love to see what a piece like that looks like now that can sort of say what is that emotional experience and and then when I was reflecting on your question and even to this question about thinking about power and access and voice I was and I was thinking well my second answer with a little bit more reflection because that memory tells me what I think art is about and the role of art and culture now in terms of building our own resiliency and understanding what's happening I actually think I don't know the artist yet who would do that piece, um, but it's someone who hasn't always had access to the, to the stage um, and that somehow through this transition now has access um, and, is, and is articulating, you know, sort of emotional zeitgeist of this moment. I want to see and, that piece. I want to see that piece in the world as well. <laughs> and, and I think actually there's something around the body, I think particularly now, because we're now we have this interface that's so disembodied. Yeah. And, um, you know, that I'm hungry for, you know, but let's go, I'll go dance around a fire. 
<laughs> like just a tribal movement. Um, so there's something about that expression I think would be really powerful. Thank you so much for your time <laughs> and your understanding. <laughs> Love it. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Well, I'll see you on the stage. It's mind-blowing to think about the tools we have as designers to understand and solve problems being applied at the level of global supply chains and complex socioeconomic systems. I'm certainly inspired by the work of Forum for the Future after this interview. I think it definitely serves as a clarion call to all designers to start questioning more the interconnectedness of our work, whether it's an understanding the impact of an extra megabyte in storage being housed in a server farm and accessed by millions over mobile networks, or the impact of a particular choice of material in a physical product design. We often tend to focus on the micro, the meaning behind a small interaction as a part of a process at the expense of the macro. And this interview hinted at the ramifications of that myopia. I look forward to hearing more systems thinking from Ariel at Interaction 21. Our guest this episode was Ariel Muller. Our interviewer was Poppy Guthrie. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Peter Last. I'm your host, Alexi Morin. The music is by New Tendencies. You can find their socials in the show notes. Thanks to them for letting us use it. We are a team of volunteers who love what they do and want to make a positive impact on the field of interaction design. Don't miss our upcoming episodes by subscribing to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.